2: Betch's Media presents Betch's Moms with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom or wherever else you hide from your kids because you'll literally never be alone again.
3: Hey, and welcome to Betch's Moms Podcast. I'm Brittany.
1: And I'm Aileen.
3: And today our guest is Ryan Kipping, also known as the Prenatal Nutritionist. Welcome, Ryan.
1: Thanks for having
3: me. Yeah, we're so excited. Ryan is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and a certified lactation educator, counselor. And um, we have been really looking forward to this interview. Yay. As you know, we're both
1: pregnant. So we have so many questions. (laughs) <laughs> All, yeah also like the first with the f- when Brittany found out i was pregnant she she sent me your account as the first person i should follow oh, i did
0: that's so sweet i love it that's amazing i've been following
1: <laughs> it um,
3: i'm pretty sure my husband now follows you too because he likes. he <laughs> thinks
0: he's like that's great be
3: eating this
0: <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs>
3: Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in nutrition and what the prenatal nutritionist is all about?
0: Yeah. So like you said, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and I specialize in pregnancy nutrition. So all things really preconception and pregnancy. And I'm also a lactation educator. So I do some early postpartum stuff too, more about nourishing right after baby is born and everything like that. Um, but as you'll see, if you do follow me on Instagram over on at prenatal nutritionist, my main focus is preparing women for pregnancy and navigating nutrition throughout pregnancy, because, As you guys both know, there is just so much information online. It's all extremely overwhelming, conflicting. I mean, you can go down so many rabbit holes of things. (laughs) <laughs> that you, that scare you or that just confuse you and all of these things. Um, so my goal is mainly just to make it really clear because it obviously isn't, um, and you get relatively little information from your doctor as well. Um, of course your doctor wants to help you and they want you to have a healthy pregnancy. Absolutely. They just number one, don't have nutrition education. And number two are so short on time, um, yeah. that, you know, they're just there to make sure you're doing okay. The babies, growing, doing all those check-ins. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where I'm inserted, um, is that gap that most people find is that, well, nobody's really teaching us about nutrition, even though it's one of the most important things in order to help you feel good throughout your pregnancy and have a healthy pregnancy. Um, so yeah, I have, I've been a registered dietitian for five years and I've been working with this population for four of those five years. I, have a cookbook. So I have a cookbook that's called the feel-good pregnancy cookbook, which is available on Amazon, but I'm sure we'll get into more of that good stuff too in a minute.
1: Yeah. It's funny that you bring up that doctors like don't really talk about nutrition, but they love to talk about how much weight you have gained right. <laughs> or should gain, so true. but then they don't like was th- there's, there's very little like yeah. Like preparation for like, okay, you're telling me I can or cannot gain this amount of weight. So how am I supposed
0: to, but they don't tell like, you and then, anything. Yeah. And then they
1: throw you into the wild <laughs> yeah. and then you come back and they're like, you should cut down on sweets. And I'm like, but I'm not eating that many sweets. Right. So like, it's just, a. Com- it's confusing. Yeah. And all you have is really Google. Right. And yeah. like you said, Google is It can be its own universe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how do we like tune out the noise and where where do we start in terms of what should we know? What's
0: important for
1: women? First of all, what is important for women to do once they get pregnant? Like what should change?
0: This is definitely a question I get. Like, well, what's different between like good nutrition for just an average individual and what happens, you know, what is, what changes whenever I become pregnant, you know? Um, and I think just overall, I mean, a lot of the principles are still the same, right? A lot of the the things that we know we should be eating, like more fruits and vegetables, choosing more whole grains, more fiber filled things, more, um, you know, quote unquote, real foods and less processed foods just to make it super, super, <laughs> basic. Um, so we all know some of these things, right. But I think what changes whenever we get into pregnancy is that you do have to start thinking about some of these micronutrients that maybe have never crossed your mind ever before, which is kind of what I see a lot is that most people have never really thought about like, Oh, am I getting enough vitamin A or where is iron even coming from in my diet? Or I've never even heard of, you know, choline, what even is that? But, you know, Ryan, the prenatal nutritionist is saying it's so important, but I've never even heard of this, (laughs) you know, so it's just, yes, yes. Um, I love, I talk about eggs constantly on my feed. So welcome to the egg party. But yeah, so I think it's just overall being more intentional about things, um, putting a little bit more focus on certain nutrients. Like I was saying, um, even, so I mentioned the micronutrients, but obviously macronutrients too. protein is especially so important during pregnancy. Um, and it's really important to find that balance of protein because, you know, I either find majority of the time I find people are under consuming protein, but it can go both ways, right? Some people that are more like, I don't know, gym exercise, workout focused, you know, are like all about the protein, but some other people like don't even think twice about eating protein. So I think just all around it's, it just requires a bit more intentionality.
3: So how should your diet vary? And we've learned that there's now five trimesters You know, right. before you get pregnant, the three while you're pregnant and then your postpartum yeah. recovery. Yeah. So how should your diet change within that?
0: Yeah. So there's some variance between um, each trimester. Um, And I think the biggest drastic changes would probably be going from preconception to being pregnant and then third trimester and then being postpartum after you have the baby. Um, those are probably some of the most drastic changes because when you go from preconception to pregnancy, you know, you hear the eating for two myth, you know, floating around every everywhere and you know, your, your needs don't double for anything. And that's what I always say, like nothing's doubling. Um, but your needs for several nutrients are increasing quite a bit. So you do have to kind of think like, okay, my needs are increasing. More nutrients, um, for some people calories, because you also see some more blanket recommendations floating around of like how much increase in calories you should have per trimester. Like, okay, maybe in the first trimester, it's pretty much as is, as you were doing preconceptionally second trimester, it's like 300 calories more or 200 to 300 third trimester, maybe like 300 to 400. And this might be true for some Women, But for some people, they might be able, they might need to just eat consistently, like a consistent amount of calories throughout their pregnancy. Um, or some people, you know, they get into their first trimester and for some women, maybe they're in an underweight category. Um, they might need to right off the bat, start eating more calories right into their first trimester. So it's just so variable per individual. It is really hard to put a blanket recommendation out there on something like calorie needs, because it can vary so widely and with like protein needs too.
3: So what are some specific foods that carry the vitamins, like the micro and macronutrients you were talking about that are actually really important? Maybe like three things that you recommend that women change while they're pregnant or must eat while they're pregnant.
0: Yeah. So I think I can first right off the bat say, definitely eat eggs. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Eggs is probably like my number one food recommendation. And people are always so sad whenever they're like allergic to eggs or have a sensitivity because I talk about them so much. And the reason I do is because I think it's a super, it's a high quality protein and it's super cheap, very easy, you know, to get. Most people have access to eggs. Um, They're affordable quality protein, a lot of micronutrients are packed into eggs too, um, like choline, the nutrient that I just previously mentioned, but all of the choline is found in the yolk. So I think it's very common and it's, it's becoming less common, but it's still common today to hear recommendation about just eating egg whites. We shouldn't be eating much of the yolk um, and all those myths floating around. Um, but if you're taking away the yolk, you're kind of almost defeating the purpose of eating eggs in the first place, because the yolk has the majority of those micronutrients in there. Um, So definitely eggs. I think number two would probably be fatty fish, Um, fish like salmon and um, sardines and herring. These mainly like super types of fishy fish that people don't love. (laughs) Um, Any fish though, right? You can eat, I mean, whatever type of fish that you like, I think that's a great protein to include once you become pregnant. Um, and maybe not in the first trimester because fish sounds usually disgusting to most (laughs) people in the first trimester. Um, but maybe once you get in the second and third trimester, you can kind of start incorporating more fish into your diet. Then, um, what is I, in my book, I have like a top 10 foods that I recommend. Um, I recommend cruciferous vegetables. So leafy greens, um, and things like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, um, cabbage; those, are, these are all cruciferous vegetables. So, really super nutrient dense, high in folate, um, high in fiber, lots of lots of uh, vitamin K, vitamin C. So you're getting a lot of key nutrients by including cruciferous vegetables in your diet. Um, and then I always recommend chia seeds. That's probably like my number one recommended seed. Um, because of the fiber and chia seeds, it's a great blend of soluble and insoluble fiber. So constipation is super common in pregnancy. Um, so that's one like magical type food that I recommend for managing constipation. Um, but also it's really high in minerals, um, like iron, magnesium, calcium, a lot of the minerals that pregnant women are often lacking too.
2: Selling a little
1: So beyond that, then you know there, we're always told like the minute you get pregnant, okay, n- now here are all the things that you can't do. Like the, <laughs> yeah. the, the first b- before we hear what we should add, like I think the yeah. uh, the additions are usually like you learn way too late. Yeah, but the things that you shouldn't do come like immediately. Yeah, and so I mean, obviously, there's like the obvious ones with the raw meat and the no sushi and the you know um, pasteurized or dairy. unpasteurized. Yeah. Do you you want, want your dairy to be pasteurized. <laughs> you want it to be pasteurized. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it's, it's the only processed uh, food that we do want. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. so, so are, are those also considered blanket recommendations? Cause I know you do have, like you say some exceptions because like yeah. a lot of listeria cases are rare, but so totally. are those blanket or where, ha- how do we navigate the, the, the things that we should avoid?
0: Yeah, great question. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's the first thing that anyone will tell you when it comes to food related to pregnancy and food. They'll be like, okay, here's your list of avoids. But you're like, okay, I have this huge list of things I can't eat, but what am I actually supposed to eat? Um, so, yeah, I love that you mentioned that because I think that is 100% true. Um, and I think that a lot of these are somewhat outdated in the fact that, like, our food supply and system in the United States, at least is what I can speak for is very safe. Um, And I think whenever you're pregnant, there's this sense of fear that you think it's not, (laughs) you know, you're like, Oh my God, all these foods are so dangerous. Right. And then what I've also found is that people think that the foods on the, on these lists will, will cause harm immediately if you eat them, right. That people think like, Oh, these foods are on here because they're bad for the baby. Right. But most of these foods are on there because they're more likely to cause you to get sick. And this is true for in pregnancy and outside of pregnancy, the foods that are on these lists that are there because of food safety reasons are foods that are more likely I'm not pregnant. Right. And those foods that are on there are more likely to get, cause me to get sick too. Um, I'm just not as susceptible because I'm not pregnant. My immune system's not slightly suppressed like someone who's is pregnant. Um, so you guys just have a higher risk of getting sick from these certain foods, like the unpasteurized dairy, um, like the deli meats, um, all of these things that you're told you can't eat. It's not that you will get sick from them. It's that you just have a higher likelihood of getting sick from them. And even that, like you're saying on my page, a lot of the time I'm busting the myth that like listeriosis, while not to downplay the seriousness of this at all, if you do get it, it is extremely rare. um, in the United States. Again, I can only speak to the U S at this point, but yeah, it it is an extremely rare um, disease to contract. So there's a lot of fear there that I think is somewhat unnecessary because people don't get it explained. Like people don't explain it. They just hand you a handout or a piece of paper. And they're like, here, this is what you need to avoid. And there's literally no reasoning behind it. And it just seems super scary. (laughs)
1: Are there some foods that are like a little bit more risky than others, like an uncooked egg versus a slightly undercooked piece of salmon?
0: Yeah, definitely. So lettuce, (laughs) leafy greens and lettuce is probably the highest risk food you could eat during pregnancy. Um, I was told that. Yeah. I think I sent you that, Aileen.
3: Yeah,
1: no, I know. (laughs) And I just had some leafy greens for lunch. (laughs) I I think I sent you that from... Your Instagram
0: (laughs) yeah, because people don't think about that. Right. Because no one ever says like, don't eat salads. We all know that salads and greens are super healthy. So why would we be told not to eat salads, even though you're way more likely to get sick from eating a salad than you are from eating an undercooked egg? You're like, there's actually oh. research out there on it. You're like eight times more likely to get sick. It's oh, from- high. <laughs> yeah, it's high. It's super high um, from greens than you are an undercooked egg. So, yeah, I get oh questions my all the time about eggs too. Like, oh my gosh, I can only eat like hard boiled or scrambled eggs. I miss like runny eggs so much or poached eggs and all of these things. And if you were to, if you're someone who, like only likes eggs a certain way, but you're just avoiding eggs altogether because you can't eat them that way, you're likely doing more harm than good because you're missing out on those nutrients that are contained in eggs that we just talked about that are so beneficial. So yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure.
3: I was also so curious with eggs when you poach them, even though the inside is runny, I feel like you're still heating it a little bit. So is like, is that true? Like, are you heating a little bit where some of those Uh, 100% raw,
0: right? Yeah, no, I think that there's some truth to that. Obviously, it's not cooked all the way through. So it's not as safe as scrambling eggs. But you know, you could test the temperature of it. There's some really super basic um, food thermometers that you can use that I definitely recommend to to everyone is like a super basic food thermometer, you literally just stick it in, it takes like 10 seconds to read. And I think I'm almost positive for eggs, it should reach 145. It could be 165, between 145 and 165. So, I mean, I've never, te- I'm not a fan of poached eggs. So I've never tested this, but it would be interesting. <laughs> just, you're missing out. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't <laughs> like them. I don't know why. I don't know why. But yeah, you, oh, can, love you can test egg. it out. Po- poke the egg, like poke the, I don't know how you do that without it like exploding. But exactly. That, that,
1: that's the big moment <laughs> is know. with the thermometer. <laughs>
0: it's like, well, I'm either going to eat this or not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> Just one more question about that. What about sushi? Like, what about, um, because you're saying we should eat a lot of fish and sometimes, like, I'm a little bit personally averse to cooked fish, especially being pregnant. Um, So how do you get that in without being allowed to eat raw fish? And I love sushi. Yeah, sushi
0: is definitely a huge, huge question mark um, that a lot of people have. And I think there's also a lot of misinformation about this too. um, Because like I was just saying, really, when you go to a sushi place, You could get sick from anything in the sushi roll. You could get sick from the avocado, the cucumber, the rice, the fish, any part of that could actually cause you to get sick. Um, And I don't know that the fish is even the highest risk item in the sushi roll, to be honest with really, you. Um, A lot of sushi rolls come with sprouts. So I always recommend avoiding the raw sprouts because that's another one that's similar to leafy greens and the riskiness of it potentially, you know, causing foodborne illness. Um, but with sushi restaurants too, there are a lot of cooked rolls. So you could absolutely get a cooked roll, which could be a little bit more safe. Um, and then there's plenty of veggie rolls, which again, veggies still have the risk of causing foodborne illness. But if you're most concerned about, you know, the fishiness or, that part of it, just order a veggie roll. Um, and then high mercury fish. So that's another thing we want to consider is that that we still want to look out for. Um, a lot of the tuna rolls, it's hard to know what tuna the restaurant is using. So this is one that I would like ask the server or the chef and see like what type of tuna they use, because some of the really big types of tuna you want to be extra cognizant with and really avoid those during pregnancy as much as you can, because those are the highest mercury ones. Um, and swordfish, this it's not as common in sushi restaurants, but you could run into that. That's one you should avoid during pregnancy too. Um, and then I always say avoid raw shellfish as well, because raw shellfish is, um, causes a lot of foodborne illness as well. Um, so I don't know with sushi, it's like, you really just have to, go with your instinct. Like if it's a restaurant that you trust and that you feel has really high quality, um, food and you have maybe been, been going there for like 10 years where you live and like, you just trust, trust the place a lot. Then I'm in the boat with like, it's ultimately up to you and your comfort comfortability level. Um, with, you know, are you going to freak out (laughs) the week after you eat it and feel super guilty and be like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? Um, because for me, I I think it's really important to protect your mental health in that state, in that case, you know, you don't want to go, go down this anxiety spiral and everything like that. I think that's so important. So if that's, someone, if you think that is you, then I would just say, avoid it. Um, it's not worth having the, um, mental health spiral, but if you feel like, no, I feel comfortable. Like I, I think it's going to be fine. I trust the restaurant. I trust what I'm ordering. I've done all my research, you know, I've gotten educated, all that stuff. Then, I'm in the boat with, you know, it's probably okay. Yeah. That
1: makes, yes. that makes me feel a little bit better. Thanks. Oh, I did have Good. some tuna fish salad for lunch. But that you, so it's okay to yeah. eat it in small, smaller quantities.
0: Tuna, yeah. And the the, the so. canned tuna is usually skipjack. Yeah. It's usually skipjack. So that's the kind that's the lowest in mercury. That's like fine during pregnancy. Cool. Yeah. We're good. You're good. Totally.
3: So do you find that maybe like clients or people are asking a lot, could they, use prenatals as a form of satisfying their uh, nutritional quota, their micronutritional quota, as opposed to trying to get it through food?
0: So I I get this question too. And people, I think this is a common misconception too, is that like, oh, I'm taking a prenatal vitamin, like, I'm good. I'm totally covered. I don't even need to worry about you know eating healthy um which is not true whatsoever um your most likely your prenatal vitamin does not cover all your needs so you absolutely still need to be focusing on food um as best as you can and we really like with food so how I always describe it is like food has a synergistic effect so when we sit down and we eat a meal we are eating all types of food, right? Like our plate has protein and it has carbs and it has fats and it has, you know, there's just so many things that make up our plate. And when we eat that, all of those components and compounds in those foods are working together in our body to make us feel good, prevent us from getting sick, you know, provide antioxidants and fight off the bad stuff. And, you know, all of these things that we can't really replicate that in a pill, Like, it's just impossible. There's probably things that scientists haven't even discovered in food that make us healthy, you know, which is crazy to think about, but it's totally, there's so much potential. Like, it's hard to understand everything that goes on in our bodies and everything that's in food. So it's just, we wouldn't ever be able to take that and put it in a pill. So that's why it's so important to just focus on food as much as you can, and then just rely on your supplement for what it is, you know, supplementing your diet.
3: Right. And that being said, what are prenatals (laughs) that you think are great and are not so great?
0: Yeah. So (laughs) I don't like to name drop brands because I hate to give people bad reps and also within, so within our membership community that I have that I'll talk about at the end, um, I go over like seven or eight different brands of prenatal vitamins, actually more than that, because we have a video too, that I talk about different brands too, and kind of go over. So anyways, I go over pros and cons of all of these, um, talk about who would benefit from them because, this is so individualized and that's what I always say on my social media too is like it wouldn't make sense for me to go on my social media and recommend one prenatal vitamin to a 100,000 people. Like we're all so different and so unique that that just doesn't make sense. Um but I can definitely say there are things you should look for when you're picking up prenatal vitamin. Um so number one, definitely third party testing. So with the supplement industry, we know that it's huge. And there are so many supplements on the market and the supplement industry in general, is just not well-regulated, which basically means there's not a lot of oversight as to what companies are doing, um, what they're putting on their label, like what they're even putting in their supplements. Like it's just, it's, it's not well-regulated. And when we think about pregnancy, it's so interesting that we're so quick to say like, (laughs) take this supplement when pregnancy is such like a sensitive time that really we should, I mean, obviously, like I just said, we should be focused on focusing on food. Um, but it's so interesting to me that we're also like supplement obsessed, especially during pregnancy, because it is such a time when we really want to protect our health and not take anything that could potentially, you know, affect us or the baby. Um, but anyways, tangent a little bit. So third-party testing basically means the supplement company paid another company to take their supplement and run it through tests and make sure that what that company said they put in it is in it. And what they said is not in it is not in it. Um, there was a supplement, a prenatal recently, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, um, that was a pretty popular one and they found lead in the supplement and the prenatal vitamin Um, so yeah, I mean, that just proves my point, like 100% is like, we need to make sure that our supplements are third-party testing. They're going through these extra precautions to make sure that there isn't anything in there like lead that can be. Um, Can
1: you share which one that one was?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was rainbow light. Um, Yeah.
3: I was, um, taking that my entire pregnancy with Oliver. I just, and I found that out after (laughs) I had him.
0: What year was that? Because you were probably. I
3: um, I had him in July of 2018 and it like came out right after.
0: Oh, okay. So, like a
3: couple of
1: months after. Yeah. yeah. So oh, I'm knowing you, that must've been a bad day. I was not well, <laughs> I was not well. <laughs>
0: I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, no. And I know I had so many messages and people freaking out about it. Um, so, yeah, they quickly fixed the issue and like had everything tested and were like back on the market market pretty quickly after that whole thing happened. Um, but that's just to, you know, prove that point even more. It's like we really need to make sure that we are doing our research on these companies that we're buying supplements from, um, making sure they're doing their due diligence to make sure they offer quality you know, product. But outside of that, um, some of the nutrients you definitely want to look for are choline because not every supplement has choline in it, and a lot of them have a super small amount. Like some of them have like 10 milligrams or 50 milligrams or something like that, which is better than nothing. But your needs are close to like 500 milligrams per day. So if you're someone who isn't an egg eater or isn't an everyday egg eater, then you're probably someone who wants to look for a little more choline in your supplement, um, than 10 to 50 milligrams. Um, and then folate. So this is a huge Area of confusion too is it like, should my supplement have folic acid? Should it have folate? What is the difference? Why does it matter? <laughs> um, I get so many questions about that. And folic acid is the synthetic form of folate. So you often see folic acid in supplements because it is the synthetic form and it's cheaper to put into supplements, So that's why it's in a lot of supplements because it is the cheaper variety. Um, However, it's ideal if your supplement contains folate, the natural occurring kind, as opposed to folic acid. Um, And also we wanna put emphasis on high folate foods like leafy greens that I was talking about. That's where folate is found naturally. Um, Folic acid is added to certain products like breads, rice, um, anything made with flour is usually fortified with folic acid.
1: And, and what's the recommendation like dose for folate? Cause I know it doesn't equal to folic acid.
0: Yeah, it, it's different, right? Cause if you, um, are someone who has like had previous, um, pregnancies, um, that may have not had the best outcomes, then your needs are a little bit higher. Um, but usually it's around 600 MCG, I think is what you'll, you should see on your supplement.
1: Folate, yeah, folate or folic acid.
0: Folate, so it should say folate on the supplement.
1: Folate, yeah,
0: because sometimes it'll be it'll be a little bit tricky when you're reading the labels, and it'll list folate, folate, but then in the parentheses it'll say as folic acid. (laughs) So you don't want it to say that because that means it's actually folic acid and not folate. (laughs) Tricky, right? 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 right. Yeah, it's kind of tricky.
1: Okay, so so sign up for your library to know which ones <laughs> yes, specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. Noted. we should be getting. Okay, <laughs> signing up. <laughs> Even though it's too late for me. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> So just in general, like I know you are talking about like all the noise and there's so much out there. Um, but let's say you are doing something you're eating, you're trying to eat healthy. Like I said, I had tuna salad, but like I also yeah. had some ice cream last night. Like, totally. How do you know that you're doing enough? You know, sometimes we feel, or, or are we do. am I doing the bare minimum? Like, or am I doing too much? Like, how do you know where you are, Cause it's easy to get stressed out about this.
0: Totally. Yeah. And I, I love that point because I think it is, you could drive yourself crazy, you know, making sure every day is perfect and you're taking the you know right supplements and all of these things, because obviously like we all want to do the best we, we possibly can for our baby and ourselves. Like we're all striving for that. Um, and I think this just goes back to the mental health point because it's like, you still got to find a balance, right? Like you still have to find that everything in moderation type balance, even in pregnancy, because there's already so many emotions going through pregnancy and it's such a roller coaster. And, you know, you have so many other things on your plate. I mean, to-do list before the baby gets here and like all of these things working. Like if you have other kids, like there's just so many things. So I think ultimately it's finding a balance that works for you and making it easy. Right. Because you can have a really healthy nutrient dense diet and not, and spend very minimal time in the kitchen, like cooking, you know, you don't have to make elaborate meals (laughs) for them to be considered healthy and nutrient dense. Right. And I think that's, that's definitely something that steers people away from like, you know, maybe going down a healthy eating path is that they think it's like this huge undertaking where they're going to be spending all of this time and every day in the kitchen for hours when that's really just not true. (laughs) There's so many easy, easy, simple meals that you can put together that are extremely nutrient dense, uh, for pregnancy, not just for, I mean, for everyone, but for pregnancy as well. Uh, so I think just striking a balance, like, I'm not someone who says we should eliminate sugar entirely during pregnancy. That's super unrealistic. Like, come on. <laughs> um, it's just again about finding a balance. Like, okay, where did you know? I I talk about added sugar a lot too. When we just release some content on sugar in the prenatal nutrition library, because I get so many questions about it. Like, should I be aiming for zero sugar? And I'm like, <laughs> no. I don't recommend that <laughs> you will go insane. Right. You know, yeah. it's like, that is an <laughs> yeah. unrealistic Like goal. You shouldn't be going on a diet when you're <laughs> pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. You nailed it. You should not be going on any sort of diet when you're pregnant. Um, you definitely want to make it super realistic and something that you can sustain for <laughs> nine months and hopefully longer. You know, you don't want to be doing any sort of crazy Regimens or anything. I think ultimately just making sure that these nutrient dense foods we're talking about, like you're making sure to include those foods majority of the time, um, and that you're not losing your mind and still <laughs> enjoying foods you <laughs> like, you know, that's a big part of, um, my philosophy as a dietitian too. It's like, we still need to enjoy eating. And, you know, yeah. there's so many other components to eating than just the nutrient part of it. Like it's a social thing. It's a cultural thing. It's, you know, rooted in family history. And like, there's so many aspects about food other than just the nutrients of it. So.
3: Definitely. Yeah, for sure. So now moving on to Postnatal, and for those nursing moms out there, sure. I feel like we could get into like dive into a whole new conversation of what you should and shouldn't be eating, <laughs> totally. assuming that it's very similar to yeah. what you're doing. Um, what, like, is there any difference? And, like, is there something that's more important than the other, or are we kind of just sticking to the same rules that we just spoke about?
0: Yeah. So, you know, there really isn't anything when you are in the postpartum period, or, you know, if you're breastfeeding that you need to avoid. Um, I think I get this question all the time. is like, Oh, do I still have to like avoid all these things I avoided in pregnancy? And it's like, no, (laughs) like there really aren't any foods that you need to stay away from. Um, if you're breastfeeding and there are certain foods that you notice are irritating your baby or something like that, that's going to be individualized, you know, some people end up, a lot of times people are like, Oh yeah, I have to eliminate dairy. Right. And I'm like, no, (laughs)
3: like
0: if you try that.
3: I did try that because I felt like my son was having like such issues and I stopped eating dairy for so long. And then I actually went like gluten-free for a while. I think I tried like everything and I was like, (laughs) this isn't changing anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, sometimes that is the case where, you know, moms will eliminate dairy and then it makes all the difference, but that's definitely not something everybody should do. Same thing with like gas warming foods. A lot of people hear like, oh, you need to avoid like cabbage and beans and broccoli, if you're breastfeeding, you know, because it makes the baby extra gassy. Yeah. All of these ones. And again, totally individualized. That could be like one mom might eat kale and their baby is totally fine. The next mom might eat kale and it causes like all this irritability in babies. So then it's like, they need to avoid it. But for the most part, there's nothing like flat out that you need to avoid. Um, even with alcohol, um, you can have a drink and still be able to breastfeed um, and pump and everything like that. That's definitely a big, a big myth, like the pump and dump myth.
3: Is it true that if you want to drink a glass of wine, you should just drink it while you're nursing because it won't get into your system by the, like, by the time the baby is eating what it's eating.
0: So it's usually like the two to three hour rule. So like you should like breastfeed have the glass of wine right after and then wait like the two to three hour period and it should be right. out of your system by then. So I guess, okay. I mean, you, Noted. Could, you could do it good during, but that just seems Can't like wait. weird. <laughs> Can't wait for my glass of wine. <laughs> and, and is
3: it and like another thing, a kind of like a myth buster or maybe myth truth um, <laughs> Do babies actually taste what you're eating and could it make them like certain foods as they get older? kind of like same myth as when they're like in the womb.
0: Yeah. So there is some truth to that. There's some science behind like they can have a taste profile preference for when you're eating things in pregnancy. Um, Yeah, that's what, that's like part of the reason why I actually recommend eating spices, like different cuisines and different, you know, using different spices when you're cooking and stuff like that, because there is some truth to that. Um, breastfeeding when you are eating different foods, it definitely changes the, um, flavor somewhat. I mean, it's not like an obvious like flavor change, but it can. Yeah. Which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it is cool. I think that's so interesting. It is. My kid is going to just love English muffins. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, all right. Now it's time for a dear Betcha's mom's email. Um, so the subject of this email is I'm dealing with constant heartburn and I cannot stop burping. Please help. All right. So I'm going to read the email and then we'd love your input of what this burping girl <laughs> should do. Um. All right. Dear Betcha's moms, love you both, love the show. Can't wait for each new episode to come out. I noticed on the recent episode, you both had to pause to burp and ended up laughing about it. That was hilarious, by the way, but that actually happened. We were both like, just like oh, indigestion, indigestion (laughs) all the time. Um, all the time um all right back to the email she says that got me thinking about how nobody ever tells you about the annoying little things you have to put up with during pregnancy I'm currently pregnant with my second and experiencing the worst heartburn of my life I'd never had heartburn before getting pregnant with my first and it has come back even worse this time around during my first pregnancy I mostly just ignored the heartburn because it was a bit it was a mild annoyance and paled in comparison to my other problems but this time around it has become way harder to ignore especially especially in the last week or two. Plus the burping has gotten out of control. I'm curious if this is something that you've experienced yourselves and if you have any tips for how to treat it, I've tried Tums and it works to a certain degree, but it still doesn't seem to be solving the problem. Any advice would be appreciated. Sincerely burning mom bet. That's
0: hilarious. Um, Well, yeah, she's definitely not alone because heartburn is definitely one of the most common symptoms of pregnancy I would say. Um, so the number one tip that I suggest is to find your trigger food or trigger whatever triggers it, right? Because that's going to be your ticket is finding whatever triggers it and try not to do that thing <laughs> or trying not to eat that food. Um, a lot of the times that's acidic foods. So things like ketchup or tomatoes which is you really ketchup can be a common culprit of it um, chocolate unfortunately can be a common culprit like fried and greasy foods which people usually are like yeah definitely definitely doesn't <laughs> help it <laughs> um so those types of foods caffeine which you know you probably aren't drinking that much of anyway but that can be a cause of it too but there's some totally random things that will cause some of my clients to have heartburn that some of them are like like eggs cause me to have terrible heartburn. And it's great when these people know what it is because they can usually solve it pretty easily by just avoiding or limiting that food. Um, other people are like, Oh, it's a certain time of the day, or it's after, if I eat a meal, that's too big, you know, that can happen a lot. So small, frequent meals can really help just eating like six times throughout the day, six small meals instead of three large meals can really help Um, after dinner. So a lot of times I feel like it happens after dinner for people. And I always suggest going on like a 10 or 15 minute walk after dinner, even if it's just around your house, which sounds kind of silly, but even if you're just like pacing back and forth, like whatever you do, just don't lay on the couch because you're helping gravity by laying down and it's just working that acid all the way back up your esophagus. And that's where you're feeling that uncomfortability. So if you are going to sit on the couch and do Netflix, like sit on the couch and watch your posture. Um, so you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Helping, we're all like slouching and we're like putting our shoulders back. Um, No, I'm
1: heartburn as you're talking about this, (laughs) and it feels so intense. Is it? Is it hormonal? Is it because of the hormones that this happens during pregnancy?
0: We blame a lot of things on hormones. We're like, yeah, "Yeah, it's just part of the the blanket culprit. Combination. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a combination of things for sure. I mean, as the baby gets bigger, it's pushing your um, organs around, and that can play a role too. Um, Usually. since she mentioned Tums, Tums are like not the, best option because basically they really, (laughs) I mean, they can help don't get me wrong, but from a nutrition standpoint, they're not like, they're not something we want to just like take on repeat because they work by decreasing the acid in your stomach, but the acid is there for a reason. (laughs) One, it helps absorb some nutrients. So like B12, like we need that acid in our stomach to be able to absorb that nutrient. Um, and then two, the acid is also there to protect us from foodborne illnesses. So potential bacteria that comes in from our food, that acid Mm -hmm. is there for that reason too. So decreasing it is not always like in our best interest, but I know that some people are listening to this. Like, is she crazy? All like all that helps is Tums. (laughs) I have Tums every night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sometimes it's the only thing that helps and I totally get it, but it's like let's try, you know, with my clients, I'm like, let's try all we can, all we can first. Let's try the walks. Let's try the milk. Let's try the, you know, some sort of ginger tea, like minty gum, like anything like this. Let's try all of these things before we can like go to the Tums. So we can try to avoid those as much as possible, but I know it's tough.
1: You're right though. Like it's sometimes just so random. Like there's crackers that I f- I would eat just to try to make me feel better. And they f- make me feel better in the moment, but then they give me extreme heartburn afterwards. And yeah. it's just like, this was supposed to be, you were supposed to be my friend. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it just funny. like burns going down, like, or coming yeah. back up rather. Yeah. But it is, it is interesting. It's very in- individual, but that's so like shocking about Tums. Like we're popping them like candy. People say it's the calcium is great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and oh, but I did oh well. also
3: hear, and what makes me a little nervous sometimes is because I take my prenatals at night, um, because I take an iron pill in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard the calcium interacts with the absorption of the iron.
0: Yes, that is true. Yeah. So you don't want to like, take them both together.
3: So, yeah. So, like, I try to like wait as long as possible between the two.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but it's depressing. Wait. No more comes. It's depressing. <laughs> Thank you so much Ryan. Could you share like how anybody can go get your prenatal um, yeah. library or get access to that and, and your all your the COPA. things that you shared?
0: Yeah. So yeah, my cookbook is available on Amazon. So you just have to search the feel good pregnancy cookbook. It'll come right up. Um, that is structured just like a traditional cookbook. Um, but what's cool about that is that it has like a symptoms index. So if you go to the back, yeah, there's like, if you're having nausea or heartburn or leg cramps or whatever it is, it lists like specific recipes to try per symptom. Um, that you're going through. So that's a really cool part about the cookbook. Um, So the prenatal nutrition library is my newest online resource, which is basically like a searchable database uh, with the most up-to-date prenatal nutrition information, um, topics from A to Z. Everything that we talked about today is definitely in the library in a lot more depth covered um, the other cool part about that is that there's a forum there so you have access to me basically to ask me questions um, we have a lot of people posting about different products you know the safety of different supplements different foods all of these prenatals anything you could imagine we have questions going on there in the forums which are also searchable um, and then there's meal plans included in the library as well as well so trimester by trimester specific meal plans where it'll kind of tell you certain foods to focus on per each trimester. And then obviously you're completely taking the guesswork out of it by just having a menu ready to go. And to the point I was making earlier, the meal plans in there are all super easy to put together. Um, They're very limited, you know, cooking required. It's honestly, really like put together meals versus like these huge long recipes. Um, There's information on gestational diabetes too. So if you're someone who has been diagnosed with um, GD, we have a lot of information for you in there, a specific meal plan for you as well. Um, But yeah, that's just the prenatal nutrition library.com. And we add new content every Monday to that. Oh, and then social, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok um, at prenatal nutritionist. That sounds
1: great. I can't <laughs> I wait want to, to check it out right now. <laughs> I know. Come on in. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm I'm doing my my glucose test next week or two or oh, three weeks nice. for now. So it's um, a huge deal. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see what happens. Well, <laughs> but, I got you. I got you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for everything, all this good information. Everyone, please go follow Ryan. And that is it for this episode of Betcha's Moms Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Apple and Spotify. Follow us, Betcha's Moms. And follow me at Aileen. Follow Brittany at Britt Rich. Follow Ryan at Prenatal Nutritionist on Insta. And remember, there are no rules on this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom, right, Regina? Please stop talking.